Luke chapter 24, verse number 44, the Bible says, He said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high." This morning, I'd like to take a few moments, just talk about this subject, understanding missions. We're taking a little break from our uh, series that we're doing on counterculture living. And so let's ask the Lord to bless our few moments together. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you already for what's transpired in the service. What a joy. What a joy, first of all, to know that because I've trusted Christ, I'm a free man today. Thank you that you saved me. Thank you that we have a great message to proclaim here in Englewood, in the surrounding area, but around the world. And I pray that Calvary Baptist, if we're not faithful at getting missionaries out, if we start tailing back on what we're doing and giving and supporting missions, Lord, I just ask that you'd really fire us up. Help us to be people that are missions-minded. May we have an understanding through this passage here today about this aspect of missions. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There was a man by the name of Dr. John Getty, was a Scots-Canadian missionary who is known as the father of Presbyterian missions in the South Seas. In 1848, he actually pioneered missionary work in the New Hebrides Islands, which is now known as Vanuatu, and worked there for 24 years. And there's a tablet that is erected there to his memory, and on it is inscribed these words, When he landed in 1848, there were no Christians. When he left in 1872, there were no heathen. You know, if I were to give a simple definition of missions... It is the act of a local church sending a called individual to a different region of the world to win lost people to Jesus Christ. This is what we've been able to do with now 50 missionaries who have come through our doors and have said, I have a call, I have a burden for a particular place in this world, and would you help support me? And when our hearts begin to knit together, we support them. And yet, as simple as missions really is, and the definition that I gave, I'm not sure that even everybody here fully understands and comprehends what it is. Oh, sure, we understand it maybe logically. We understand the practicality of missions. But do we really, truly understand the spiritual implications of such an endeavor? I'm telling you, I was deeply impacted when I just took this most recent trip. And there's a lot of things that uh, affected my mind and affected my heart and the fields that we were able to visit and the missionaries that we were with. But I couldn't help but think about this one instance when I was with Brother Stetson Plank. And 
we had just checked into the place where we were staying and he came to meet us and he said, I'm going to give you a tour of Verona. So we got out of our hotel and we began walking towards the old part of Verona. And as we're crossing the bridge, he said, I want you to stop for just a moment. And he said, see that tall building right there? And we noticed it. He said, see that other tall building right there? And as he began to go around in a circle, he noted ten large Roman Catholic churches within walking distance. He said, preacher, he said, I want you to think about something. Within walking distance are all of these churches that are preaching, if you will, a dead religion. But he says, other than one other evangelical church that is starting to wither on the vine, he says, we are the only gospel-centered church right here in Verona. And man, my heart became burdened for the work that's going on there. You say, preacher, are you picking on Roman Catholic churches? Let me just tell you, I have a lot of friends and family, and I know a lot of people in the Roman Catholic Church, but may I say that the Roman Catholic Church today across this world is preaching a dead religion? They may talk about Jesus, they may talk about sin, they may talk about heaven and hell, but I'm telling you, they are letting you know that you must work your way to heaven. You must go through this, you must go through this. And that's why we have a man like Stetson Plank in Italy to share that the gospel has been paid for by Jesus Christ. That's why we have a man by the name of Patrick Jobway in Germany who is sharing amongst all those people in that spiritually dark place that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried, and rose again so we could have eternal life. I'm amazed as I look at this passage of Luke 24 that we note here what really missions is all about Would you look with me, first of all, at verses 44 to 45, and that is the source of missions. Notice here when we talk about the source of missions and what it is and maybe where it came from, we note here that this message that we have to proclaim is very specific. Notice here Jesus said, These are the words which I spoke. Jesus here signals some words that he spoke to his disciples earlier. Now we know that Jesus taught many different things. You want to learn about the church? You want to know about end times? You want to know about many other things that are clearly taught in the Bible? Jesus gave those to his disciples. But I'm telling you, as clear as day that the one thing that Jesus gave very clearly and very specifically with His disciples was the good news of Himself that they were to pass on to others. Jesus was specific about it. Jesus was very clear. Now, they may have not noted it. They may have forgotten it. But they were very specific words that Jesus gave. But then I want you to notice this message is not only specific, but it is saturated. Look at the words here where it says that it is fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. So not only do we have a message that we're giving out that is very specific, but it is saturated. In other words, it is all through the Bible, 
oozing on the pages of Scripture is the great message of salvation. It's very interesting here, as Jesus is talking here, He says, I want you to know that this message here that I'm giving you to proclaim is one that has been talked about already. And let me say that when the disciples were with Jesus Christ, the only thing that they really knew of is what we commonly call the Old Testament. They had those books, and it was broken up into the Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms. Those were the three different sections that they had of their Scriptures. And what Jesus is saying is, there's no doubt that all the way through, yes, you find the Law talking about me. Yes, look at the Psalms, it references me. Yes, look at the prophets. They're prophesying of my coming and they're prophesying of my ministry and they're prophesying of my death on the cross. Everything is pointing to Jesus Christ. Oh, what an amazing thing here. I love the word that is used in verse number 44, the word must. Look at here, he says, While I was yet with you, I spoke these words, that all things must be fulfilled. May I submit to you today that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ must take place and must be fulfilled in Scripture. The word must is of necessity. It was necessary that God's plan be fulfilled. And Jesus did come. And Jesus did die and was buried and rose again. Oh, the death of Jesus wasn't a mere accident. It wasn't the result merely of sinful men getting the upper hand over God. It wasn't, the, the, uh, it wasn't anything else from a human standpoint. May I say that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was God's sovereign purpose in fulfillment of all of these Old Testament prophecies of Jesus. Beautiful. But then notice our message is spiritual. Look what he says in verse number 45. Then opened he their understanding. Could I say to you today, the only way you understand this book is really if you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you? You say, oh, I can master this book, not without the Holy Spirit. Oh, you say, I, I, I can understand. I, I'm a smart person. I had a 4.0 GPA, and I'm, I'm, I'm very good at all of this type of stuff. I want to tell you something. This book is a spiritual book. It was authored by the Spirit of God. And for you to understand it, the author must reside in you. And therefore, as you read God's holy word, God's Holy Spirit begins to share with you. He teaches you. He communicates that word to you. He lets you know. And I love Jesus here opening the minds of these disciples. Because, boy, there was a lot of times early on in Jesus' ministry, He would give them things. And do you understand this little thing? It would do this. It would just go right over their head. Or it would, like teenagers, go in one ear and out the other. But now, as Jesus is getting ready to leave, He wants them to understand the message that they have. It's a specific message. It is saturated through the Bible. And now He opens their understanding. May I say that when you give the gospel as a local missionary... When the Salvatierras go to Bolivia and they began sharing the Word of God as the Peros for 22 years shared with the Irish people that they met 
over there. That in order for people to be saved, you know what God must do? God must open their understanding. God must bring conviction on their life that they're in need of a Savior. So notice here, first of all, the source. But then I want you to notice something else here, and that is the subject of missions, verses 46 to 47. Verses 46 to 7 gives us the very subject of missions. And what is that subject? Well, I know very simply, it is, first of all, centered around a person. Notice the mention of Christ. Now, to people who are newly saved, oftentimes they'll think, well, Christ is the last name of Jesus, but that's not really the case. Christ literally means anointed one. While Jesus is the earthly name given to him, Christ is a title that was given to him in Scripture signifying that he was the one sent to be the the, the deliverer and the king who would rule and reign on this earth. Boy, from the earliest days, a deliverer was promised. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis and right there in the Garden of Eden when Satan had slithered his way in and had tempted Eve to take of that fruit and she disobeyed God and sin entered into the world. You know what God promised right then? A deliverer would come. And as you begin walking through Scripture, Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and all the way through, here's what you find. That promise is repeated. Not necessarily in the same words, but there are different scenarios that are brought up. There are different promises. There are different truths and principles that are brought out. But all the way through the Scripture, there is a promise of a deliverer. And no wonder why in the Gospel of John, the next page over from where we are in our text, there is a man by the name of Philip who finds Nathaniel, his friend. And he says, Nathaniel, he says, you're not going to believe this. He says, I've met him. Who? I've met him. The one we've been talking about all this time. Every time we go to the temple and we hear God's word, I finally met him, Jesus, the Son of Nazareth. He's come, the Deliverer. And that's what we're proclaiming. You ask today, who is the Messiah? Aren't the Jews still looking for the Messiah? Sadly, they are. Aren't there many religious groups who have wrongly named whom the Messiah is? Sure, there are. But according to this book, which is infallible, inspired, inerrant Word of God, we can see from cover to cover that the one that we're looking for to deliver us from our sins is the person of Jesus Christ. Let me remind you here today that that message is not centered around a theme, a creed, a philosophy, or a religious system. It is completely centered around a person who loved me and gave himself for me. And Jesus Christ is his name. Christ suffered and he died for our sins. The word behooved is used in these verses. It means that it's necessary. Sin necessitates that there is a payment here and that payment is death. But it can't be any ordinary death. I couldn't say to you, look, I'm your preacher and I love you. I'll tell you what, I'll die for you so you can go to heaven. Somebody's got to pay for my sins. And as we look around in this crowd, 
Every person, as good as you look today, we're all sinners. We'll go out into our neighborhoods and maybe we'll shake the bushes, as Brother Josiah mentioned, and we'll start looking for people, but we'll find all through Englewood and Rotunda and Venice and everywhere else, people are sinners. Let's search the world far and wide, every corner of the globe, to see people and find one who is righteous enough to die for your sins. And of people that are born of a man and woman, you will find that the Bible says, all have sinned. But there's one who came. Jesus Christ is his name. And he came and lived in human flesh. And he lived perfectly. You know, as a carpenter, if he smashed his thumb, he never gave a cuss word. Think about that. How many of you have smashed your thumb before? I won't ask how many of you have used a cuss word. All right, I won't, I won't make you go ahead and lie on that, okay? But never one time did he lie to his mom and dad. Never one time did he cheat. Never one time did he covet anything that was not his own. Jesus lived perfectly. And therefore, he is the Christ, the one who died on the cross and was buried, and he rose again. And I want to submit to you today that Jesus Christ truly did rise from the grave. And as the Christ, the promised one, he rose from that grave, and he has power over sin and over death. So what's the subject is centered around a person, but notice it is concentrated in its proclamation. Now, while we might rightly assess that the message is centered around Jesus, there are very specific things to note here. What are they? Well, look at these two words that are given for us in verse number 47. It says, and that repentance and remission of sins. What are we proclaiming today when we're sharing about Jesus Christ? We're sharing with people, first of all, who they are in relation to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the sinless Son of God. You and I on this earth are sinners before God. Walk through Scripture, 1 Kings 8.46, Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23, Ecclesiastes 7.20. Every one of those verses are very clear that all people are sinners. And so if all of us are sinners, we need to repent. Now, what is repentance? People have this idea and this notion of, well, when I repent, boy, there's got to be some tears that are just flowing down from my eyes, and there's got to be this sense of sorrow. And I want to say to you that it may not be outward, but there should be some sorrow. But here's what repentance is. It is literally a change of mind. Repentance is this, that when a person repents of their sin, they recognize the fact that now they are a sinner before God and they must turn to Jesus. That's what repentance is. Now, there's been a number of times when I've given the gospel and I have had people say, well, you know, I'm a pretty good person. You know what? No sign of repentance. Oh, I, I, okay, I may be a sinner, but I'm better than, and they start naming people that they know they're pretty wicked people. No sign of repentance. You've got to come clean before God. 
And the message that we're, repeat, that we're giving and proclaiming to others is not just, hey, pray this little prayer and you can go to heaven someday. No, the message of salvation is all about that in order for people to be found and in order for people to have hope in Jesus Christ, they must recognize their lost condition and repent. But then like every coin has a heads and tails, do you realize that the salvation coin has two sides? There's repentance, and there's this faith and the forgiveness of sins here. Look at this word, the remission of sins. The word remission is another word for forgiveness. Oh, I want to tell you, people all over the world are looking for how to get rid of guilt in their life. They'll find any way that they can to hide the things that they're guilty over, but it's only through Jesus Christ that we can find that that cleansing and forgiveness of sins. So the source of missions, that's the Word of God. The subject of missions is the person of Jesus Christ and the message in particular of repentance and, and remission of sins. But now notice verse 47 and following, the scope of missions. He says here that this repentance and remission should be preached in His name among all nations. Now, the word nations is a word from what we get our word ethnic today. The word ethnic or ethnic group has been defined, and I borrow this from somebody, is the largest group within the, which the gospel can spread as a church planting movement without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. In other words, here's how all this works. Let's take a country like the country of Mexico. And if we were to say in Mexico, that country of Mexico is one nation, but truly within that one nation of Mexico, there are a lot of different groups, have different languages, different customs, different cultural characteristics. And so in order to properly, if you will, to fully, efficiently be able to evangelize the country of Mexico, it is important that we understand all of the ethnic groups that are in there. The statistics today are pretty powerful. They say that there are about 17,400 people groups. And 7,400 of those people groups, or about 42%, are groups that are unreached. Do you think we have a job to carry out? We got something to do. 7,400 of these people groups are unreached. And in fact, in, in what has been referred to as a 1040 window, which is a lot of the countries right in this area are, are dominated by Muslim countries. It is noted that the 67 countries of this 1040 window are home to nearly 6,200 unreached people groups. In other words, five out of every six unreached people groups are in the 1040 window. And we got to figure out how to get them there. Well, where does it start here, this scope of missions? Well, look here. It starts at home. He says in verse number 47, he says that this message is to be preached among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. I almost picture Jesus as I was studying this week. I was thinking of Jesus as he's talking to his disciples. He said, boys, it starts right here. Right here. Here's where the message starts. 
the church started in Jerusalem. And today as we apply this, we think of ourselves here as the church at home. And we're going to be a home to a certain degree, Lord willing, if we take on the Salvatierias for uh, five or six years or so. We were a home church of sorts for the Peros and representing their ministry there in Ireland. And what a powerful place. We are the starting place. But how is it sustained? Notice here. People have to go forward. There was a day Brother Josiah was sharing about his mom and dad got a call from God to go to Ireland. We heard in the hour before, we heard about Ernesto as he shared about the call of God in his life to go back to his home of Bolivia. And every person that's going to go as what we call a missionary, they've got a call of God in their life. But they're going for us. You are here. You have a calling here. It's possible some of you have a calling to go to the foreign mission field. But for most of you, as well as I know, you're called to be here. And therefore, how will we fulfill the Great Commission? How will we fulfill getting the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world? We send missionaries like the Salvatieras. We send missionaries like the Peros. And the other missionaries that we support all around the world. And they are sustained by your giving your money missionaries money that's where it all comes in you say preacher i I, i'm struggling already and i'm i'm trying to make my tithe to, to help support the local work here that's why we call it faith promise giving because by faith we trust god to go ahead and supply to be able to meet our needs so we can give above and beyond to be able to send these missionaries to go forward Look at the start of missions, and I'm done here today. Verses 48 and 49. Jesus, again, not only does He say it begins at Jerusalem, but verse 48, ye are witnesses of these things. Notice that word ye, you. It begins with you, right here and right now. In your Jerusalem, or our Englewood, right here, it's high time that we begin sharing the good news. You say, but preacher, I... I I don't know how to do that. I can't, I can't do that. I, I can't share the gospel like you can. But Jesus is almost anticipating your excuse. Because look at verse number 49. He says, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. What was the promise of the Father? It was the Holy Spirit. You look at the next gospel, the gospel of John, and Jesus says, look, it's necessary that I go away. Because right now, while I'm here with you, I can only be at one place at one time in this body. But when I go back to heaven, I'm going to send someone just like me who will have the ability to live in your heart. And he'll do a lot of wonderful things. He'll teach you. He'll guide you into all truth. But one thing he will do in regards to getting the gospel out is he'll empower you to do it. You say, I can't speak. The Holy Spirit will help you speak. You say, I don't know what to say. The Holy Spirit will guide you. You say, I have no ability. I'm not like you, preacher. I just can't get up there and flap my lips like you do every Sunday. I'm glad nobody laughed. I'm going to tell you something. The Holy Spirit will guide you. 
He will help you. Jesus told His disciples that there be help coming. Now, as I close today, those of you who have been around for a while, and I'm not going to categorize by age, but you'll know as I give this little illustration, there was a very popular television show that ran from 1966 to 1973. It began with a very well-dressed gentleman stepping into maybe a phone booth or closet or some other secluded place. And he found there a tape recorder and he pushed a play button and here's what he'd hear. Good morning, Mr. Phelps. The voice on the tape would then describe what Jim Phelps was going to be asked to do. It was always a dangerous but a very important mission. And once the explanation was complete, the voice would say, your mission, Jim, should you decide to accept it, will be to accomplish this task. As always, should you or any of your IM force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Jim. Well, the premise of that show, which you may be familiar with, Mission Impossible, which they've made movies about now as of late, is something that I think most Christians really can relate to today. You and I have a mission. It's clear, straightforward. We are to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to every person we come into contact with. And even though we might think that that mission is impossible, we know that it isn't because God asks us, yes, to do the impossible, but He gives us the ability to accomplish what He tells us to do. And so may I say to you today, if you're a Christian, as I look across this audience, your mission, Christian, should you decide to accept it, will be to obey God. As always... Should you or any of your brothers or sisters be caught or killed, God will never disavow any knowledge of your actions. Those words of His will never self-destruct. And there's never any luck in the mission that you're doing. There's a Spirit of God that helps you. So today I'd like to ask three questions of you as I close. Number one, will you today decide to be a witness for Him? You say, preacher, I'm not called like this couple that's going to Bolivia. No problem. I'm not, I'm not called either. I have a great burden as I've listened to them today. I have a great burden, but understand that I have burdens about a lot of different things, but I'm only called to one place at one time. And to my knowledge here today, God has called me to this place, this area. And therefore, it's my job to be a witness to everybody I come across people I rub shoulders with. Now, that's not just the preacher's job. That's your job, my job. So, will you accept the mission to be a witness for Jesus right here? The second question I'd like to ask you is, will you today commit to giving to missions? Some of you started back in our missions conference and you said, oh, I'm going to give this amount. And then some things got in the way. You forgot. I want to encourage you. Give to missions. Above and beyond your tithe, but give to missions. I'm telling you, it helps the people of God. But thirdly, would you consider giving your life to missions? 
You say, preacher, you don't understand the age that I am. I, I, I don't think I could do any of that. Well, you have some of the preachers that are in here today, and they'll tell you that there have been people that have already retired, and God called them to the mission field. And they went. I have a book somewhere in my office from a lady at our previous ministry. She passed away a number of years ago, but she wrote a book. It was titled, God Called and Granny Went. That was her book. Sweet lady. But well into her her later life, she went to the mission field. And she helped a local church and taught children and did everything that she could and was a bold witness for Jesus Christ. Maybe God might be calling you to the mission field. I'd like to ask you today, if God's tugging on your heart, you say, well, I don't know where. I don't know when. I don't know how. Oh, every missionary that has ever had a call of God, most of the time have been had those same questions. But I'm telling you, as you come down to an old-fashioned altar and you yield yourself before God, as you begin taking the next step of faith, God will open the door and He'll show you. But what He's looking for you right now, and these questions that I'm asking you, is He's looking for you to say, yes, I'll accept the mission. I'll do it. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for today. Thank You for the love of God. Thank You that today, as a born-again Christian, I'm a free man. And I have a message to share with men and women and children who are lost, dying in their sin, shackled to the things of this world. And oh, that message of hope can give them freedom. I pray that, Lord, we would have people across this auditorium that would yield themselves to You. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm preaching here a message about the gospel and giving it to others. But it's possible you need the gospel today. You need to place your faith in Christ. My friend, if you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Christ, you're amongst friends today. I'd like to encourage you, either at your seat or maybe as we begin, when the piano begins playing in a few moments, you walk right up here. We'll have a number of personal workers. And you come to one person in the front and just say, I'd like to be saved. We'll take you aside and we'll begin opening the Scriptures and sharing with you how you can know Jesus Christ and that when this life is over, you'll go to heaven. But Christian, will you accept the mission? Will you accept the mission to be a witness here today? Will you accept the mission of giving towards the faith promise? Will you accept the mission of God is tugging on your heart to go to a foreign mission field? Whatever it is, I want to encourage you today to yield to Him. We have gospel tracts that you can use to help you be the local missionary you need to be. We have helps that are provided to help you know how to share that good news with others. But whatever it is, I want to tell you, it begins with the decision today. Yes, I'll accept that mission. Would you stand to your feet, please, with your heads bowed, eyes closed? I'm going to pray and ask that the Lord would work in your heart. 
But I want to ask you all through the auditorium, you say, preacher, I've never really come down. I'm a little embarrassed. I want to encourage you to make a public declaration and just sit in the front row or stand right in the front and say, I don't know how, don't know where, don't know when, but I'm going to be a witness for Jesus. I'm accepting the mission. And let's have Missions Emphasis Sunday be a Sunday that launches us off into this week. That we would have people all through Calvary Baptist Church who would say, I'm going to be a witness. Or maybe God's calling you for some special task. I don't know. I'm going to pray when I say amen, the piano will begin playing. And I'd encourage you to come and to yield yourself before God. Lord, work in our invitation time, I pray. May you just touch hearts. May there be many who would yield themselves to you in this time. In Jesus' name we pray.